It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world with its own needs. Something in your own head, beat it up and I've seen got no sheets. The land of fucking with the fear fight down. I fire in a fire, Mr. Chicken Southern Gang, and the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, you could do it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. That's right, I'm the mysteriousest figure you're going to see in the dark heart of the city. Or is that the jungle? No, the city. Somewhere. I'm somewhere. I don't know if we have dark hearts in this city. Uh, Watch your foot, you're going to unplug the microphone, dude. Oh, yes ma'am, I'm so sorry. And then that won't go so well if we finish no. an hour and nothing's been recorded. <laughs> I'd hate that. That well, actually has happened before. Not the microphone disconnecting, but we had some weird... Remember we had the lightning yes, strike outside? And then, it, and then it did something crazy it, to the it audio somehow afterwards. We had to re- the microphone. We had to re-record. Remember? I, I think our voices sounded like... Yep. yep. It was otherworldly. <laughs> By the way, if you How don't horrifying. know, if you don't know out there, this is the hour of doom. Sounds like it. That's right. And bloom. That's right, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a paragon of pulchritude in a parsimonious world. Tongue twisters. Who are you? Oh, me? I am Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton, also known as Nurse Amy, and I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And together we are the gang of two. We are the dynamic duo, the prodigious pair the queen and the codger, and you know what? We are here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, yes. have you been injured in an accident? <laughs> With a malicious mule, stubborn thing, well, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and her samey, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists, nor is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to please 
Seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Yes, it's true. Yes, it's true. <laughs> That's my singing husband. <laughs> you guys don't realize. Yes, much it's true. Everything that comes out of one of our mouths, if it's a line from a song, he'll pick it up and, and sing along. Well, <laughs> it's, it's true. I'll tell you that modern medicine, modern medical care is the shizzle, my drizzle. Mm -hmm. But when it's not there and you have to face the bear... Somebody's got to be ready to be the chosen one when it comes to keeping their family healthy in times of trouble. And guess what? That someone just might end up being you. So show the world you got more sense than a pot full of petunias and get some training and education. And while you're at it, how about some supplies and a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge? And what better place to get it than right here? Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equal medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you deal with medical issues you'll face in any disaster. They'll make your workplace, school, or church safer, or your vehicle. And they're designed by a real-life medical doctor and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. I, ha I have a new kit. Oh, you got something to say? Well, well, well hold on one I second. I do. Well, okay, well, tell us a little and bit about And I interrupted about, you. <laughs> tell me a little bit about your new kit. Oh, no, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> well, it's small, and it's the pocket kit. Okay. I've had, I've, you know, of Does course. Does it fit in your pocket? It, it will fit in a cargo pant pocket, mm. not your back pocket. Not those skinny jean pockets. No. You know, I just can't make kits that small. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult for me because I think... You want to deal with a lot of issues, right? Oh, my right? gosh. Yeah. All of the things that can possibly happen weigh heavily on me. So it's very difficult for me to make you a tiny kit that has three or four things in it because I think... Well, this fifth thing, and that sixth thing, and that seventh thing, and oh my gosh, that eighth thing. What if you don't have that? <laughs> you know? What a mess. It's right? it, Exactly. So, although I have less items in the pocket kit, I try to have quite a few items. So, it's you know, it covers things. It does have a tourniquet. We, I put the SWAT tourniquet, which is, of course, multi-purpose. I've even heard you could tow a car with it. <laughs> yeah, I, it's true. Isn't yeah, that funny? I, would, I would believe that. You cannot break that. It is thing. amazing. So we've big got, giant rubber band. Just basically. with that, we've got a tourniquet. It makes a sling. It'll hold splint material. If you can MacGyver some something uh, stiff like a board or even a pillow, right? Or branches, you know, right. fashion some branches. Exactly. Um, so it's it'll hold on anything. It'll hold uh, gauze uh -huh. onto your leg as like a pressure dressing. So it's just uh, one of those multi-purpose things. And it should be in every medical kit, honestly. It is in all of my very medical versatile. kits. Yeah, very versatile. <laughs> yes. yes. And? Yes. What else does it have? Uh, let's see. We have uh, some gauze, of course. We have various Band-Aids. I have a um, rehydration salt because i'm thinking oh, if somebody's out hiking or if it's really hot or if somebody ends up with you know some sort of dehydration issue that it'll replenish the electrolytes That's right at least be able to get you back to where modern medical right. care is and it's lighter than carrying gatorade that's for sure yes it's so it's got a, it's a little something you know most people don't put in their little kits uh, we have and i also of course put a packet of honey Again, low blood sugar. It 
also is, you know, kind of a replacement if you need it to be for triple antibiotic ointment. So if you get a dab or a cut and you can wash that out somewhere, put the honey on it, throw your Band-Aid on it, and again, you can get yourself back without risking a increase in infection. All right. So quite great. a few things. I don't have the list in front of me. All right. We can go over that next week. But it's, it's and this is how I describe it because I'm a woman and I love medical kits. It's so cute. Okay. <laughs> so in other words, you've got a nice compact kit that's even more compact, more compact than one of than your comp- the, than the compact than the kit. compact kit. And that's good. Sometimes you need to be able to go fast and not have to uh, exactly. carry any significant weight. And that sounds like it would be very Oh, and very I also put a finger splint in it. Speaking right. of... of Fractures. Oh, there you there go. There is a Sam Split finger split in it. There you go. The brand name. That's great. Yep. Well, I mean, that's just one of the kits. Yeah. We have kits all the way from that. That's obviously has become our smallest kit, mm-hmm. all the way to kits for people that are going on medical missions to underdeveloped countries. So, or they have a cabin somewhere that they want to stock yep, up. Yeah, or a remote yep. retreat, things Absolutely. like that. Sure. Compare our kits for quality, contents, and cost with anybody else's stuff. And you'll agree that our kits are the ones that you should have in your medical storage. But don't take our word for it. Check out our testimonials page at store.doomandboom.net. See what folks just like you have to say about our medical kits and service. And on top of all that, our kits are approved for your health or flexible savings account. Just let us know you need the paperwork. Oh, of course, I'm going to remember things as we go. It's got a little packet of sea locks, too. Oh, there. Oh, so it has a blood <laughs> yes. clotting agent, too. Yes. Well, that's actually a little See, more advanced I, than I thought I, it was going to be. I well, try to think of as many issues that I can deal with in a tiny little kit as possible. Well, we'll go over it in a little more detail a little One bit. day, I might be able to make a kit that fits in an Altoid mint little tin. Yes, I've seen tin. those, but that's... I highly doubt yeah, it. I'm actually good. joking. There's well, no, there's actually there some, no, and they are just they're basically horrible. three band aids and a oh please, I don't and know a fishing what. hook. Right. <laughs> hey, we learn as much from you as you do from us. If you've been listening for the last few minutes, you've obviously <laughs> have figured that out. So give us the truth, youth, and connect with the geezer and the goddess. It's easy, and here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Oh, here we go. Definitely email us anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com. That's D-R-B-O-N-E-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. Uh, We also have a Doom and Bloom Facebook page you can follow. And, of course, you should follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. I have an Instagram Trying to figure out things to take pictures oh. of. That is. Doom. How about all those Yellowstone pictures? We have to That's, put those. Oh, up. you know I can do that. Okay, Doom and Bloom Medical. One word: Doom and Bloom Medical. All right. So That's if you are Instagram. an Instagram fan, we actually have that too. That's great. I hope you can populate that with some good pictures in the. Near oh my future. gosh, I have so many from the vacation that are mm. awesome. I think I could put little short videos on it, too. You know those little 18 to 20-second videos we oh, took good. 
of the bubbling hot springs or also of Old Faithful. Faithful, that'd be great. I'm sure people would love to see Our those. bear encounter. No, I'm just kidding. We no, didn't have a bear encounter. encounter. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> no, we feared it, but of course, because we were prepared we with bear spray, bear spray and, right, all right. And, and highly alert. And situationally we like, aware. You know what we were? We were like the karate kids on a, yeah. on a hike. We turned around quickly with our hands up. And then go back forward, and no, then we walk. No, I'm just no, no. But that we did calm and relaxed vigilance. We did turn we, around and make sure there wasn't. Yes, look around. A bear following us, us. Yes, stalking yes. us. Oh, predatory yes. behavior. So let's see. What else do we have? Uh, YouTube? Did you mention? Mm, yeah, our YouTube no, channel uh, no. is Doctor Bones, Nurse Amy, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy. I channel. Didn't. Ah, stop! It's because I went to Twitter and then I. Put in Instagram. Ah, okay. That's where we got. All right, so off we got the that. tangent. And don't forget our other podcast, American Survival Radio, now broadcast from all sorts of land-based stations, radio stations. Yes. Throughout the U.S. of A. Current <laughs> events podcast. Uh, this podcast, Survival Medicine Hour, is broadcast on KYAH Radio in Utah. Thanks to our good friends in Utah for. Uh, Passing along the good message of medical Well, I just want to be clear about American Survival Radio. Don't listen to it if you're not a little conservative. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know, you don't need to. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is a current events podcast. That's true. Anyhow, um, let's see. Hey, you know what? Right around the corner is September 1st. I'm actually, tomorrow we're broadcasting this podcast. I think today uh, August, today is August 31st, 2018. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow is marks the beginning of Preparedness National Month. Preparedness yes. Month. Yes, indeed. This month, I want you guys all to put your plans in order, do your drills, get whatever additional <clears throat> supplies that you might need. I know a great place to get medical supplies. And <laughs> what did I do yesterday for September National Preparedness Month? I put up a preparedness month special super special oh really which is a super special tell me about that well you get our survival medicine handbook the Uh third edition you get a sawyer water filter oh a mini sawyer awesome those are great a hundred thousand gallons right a hundred thousand gallons capacity yeah and that is a cool object because that actually comes with a little water bag Mm-hmm. And it can also attach to regular 8-ounce water bottles. It's made for the size, so you can just screw it on. It, it exists on the outside of the bottle. It doesn't go on the inside of the bottle. So it's sort of an outside attachment, and you'll drink through that to purify whatever water you have put into the, the container. So you can either use the bag or any water bottle you have. With a standard cap size. It also comes with a syringe, a big syringe, which is a plunger that will flush through the filter when you're done using it to keep it clean. What really clogs up these kind of filters, and the same thing happens for life straws, is grit. Yes. Grit and and dusty things, anything that has some texture to it is going to clog up your filter faster. So you always want to backflow out of the filter to get rid of anything like that. And the best thing to do, uh, especially when you've put water into a water bottle or the bag, is to try and make sure that 
looks as clear as possible. We know clear doesn't mean drinkable, but what you're thinking about is if you have a mud puddle, if you have a cotton shirt or some something that can filter, you know, even gauze, if you even just took some gauze and, and poured that muddy water through the gauze before you put it in your water bottle. That'll help, yeah. That it will at least get some of that gunk out so your filter will work easier, certainly, and, and work longer. Well, there you go. So, and, okay, so that's the second thing. And then the third thing, speaking of compact kits, the ultimate compact kit comes with that. Not the tiny one, but the bigger one. Yes. Okay. The bigger, small one. Oh, would. They can handle a lot of stuff with that. <laughs> yes, I'll tell you that Yes, that's much. really low. That even has an Israeli bandage in it. Right. So you've as well got a as number. The so the three things are the mini Sawyer, the compact trauma kit. And the book. And oh, and, and our book. And okay. our book. Well, three things. Well, okay. Well, those are sound like three good things to have yep. in your medical Limited storage. time only, folks. All right. So I only put good. that up once a year. All so right. Sounds you, good. You got September. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you mentioned the mini Sawyer because I'm going to talk right now about the most common parasitic and actually one of the most common diarrheal disease type infections that you will encounter in a backcountry trail. And oh, that fun. is there's the most common parasitic <laughs> disease in actually the United States, and I'm talking about something called Giardia. Giardia oh, yeah. is uh, well, a type a G- of infection. Which can be found in clear water. Right. Which is why we're talking about making sure you have special water filters. Exactly right. To keep that out. And the thing is, is that it takes, it. <laughs> it takes a little while to get sick from it, about a week or so, but boy, a week later... You have terrible gas, you have this foul, greasy diarrhea, and it just is bad, bad, bad. You're going to regret having drunk from water that is un- unfiltered. Now, and you know what? Well, the funny thing is, is a lot of people don't realize that it takes that long. And so they blame their last meal or, their, or something they drank maybe that day right on this infection yes exactly they it's think, not that oh it's you know this morning i must have drank right. something that wasn't right right no 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 it's the incubation period is what we're talking about and that's the time between your the the exposure to the organism right. and when you start getting it. symptoms right and only very few very few critters will cause a problem anytime soon they usually take a few days um even the worst ones take one to three days. Right. Uh, this one can go, take up to two weeks before you actually get sick. And by the time, who remembers what you did exactly two weeks earlier? Exactly right. You and know, then ne- you never where connect- you ate or where you drank. And you don't connect it of to your, your trip to the, uh, the that mountain trail. Yeah. Uh, uh, Giardia lamblia, that is a protozoa. Protozoa are single-cell organisms, but they have animal-like behaviors. They're much more animal-like, quote-unquote, than mm-hmm. bacteria. Many can actually propel themselves around from place to place with the uh, tail that they have. They have a tail called a flagella. It's like a little hair, really, that they whip around. A and, tail is a good description, right. but it's tiny, right. tiny, 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 yeah. tiny, tiny, tiny. But they, they whip it around and they move randomly in the water. So I said, you know, they move randomly. They're not that smart. Trichomonas so, does that too. And, and trichomonas, that's a vaginal infection that does that. And there are a number of other ones that have have these hairs. Those hairs are called flagella and allows parasite, protozoa rather, to sort of have some locomotion. 
Now, let's talk a little bit about what treats it. Now, the most common antibiotic used to treat this kind of infection is called metronidazole, and that actually has a veterinary equivalent called Fishzole, F-I-S-H hyphen Z-O-L-E. And this, I think, is a really good antibiotic to have in your medical storage. I mean, I'm always talking about the risk of infectious disease, and some of the antibiotics I've been able to find in veterinary form include this. And this antibiotic here, metronidazole, is something that is really very, very useful. It comes in 250 milligrams. It's an antibiotic in the nitroamidazole family. It's used primarily to treat infections caused by anaerobic bacteria and the protozoa that I just mentioned. Now, anaerobes are bacteria that don't depend on oxygen to live. And you'll find these bacteria most often in small caliber, deep wounds, puncture wounds, things like that, animal bites perhaps, uh, essentially deep wounds with small openings and the oxygen just has a harder time getting to that area. And so they, if the aerobic bacteria, the bacteria that, that use, need oxygen, mm-hmm. aren't going to be successful there, well, bacteria that doesn't need oxygen could be successful Yeah, there. unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're messed up either way. That's right. Now, metronidazole works by blocking some of the functions within these bacteria and these protozoa, and that kills them. It's better known by the U.S. brand uh, name Flagyl, and if you may have used Flagyl in the past, comes in 250 milligram, comes in 500 milligram tablets, probably even more uh, for for humans, but these are the ones you'll find in fish antibiotic form. I just want to say to folks out there, we're never, ever without Flagyl. Right. If we travel far, far away, we have flagell. If we're at home, we have flagell. Because I don't ever want to get one of these diseases or illnesses. No, I shouldn't say diseases. Illnesses that you're about to review here and not have flagell around. That's right. Well, flagell is used in the treatment of a lot of bacterial diseases. Yes. One is diverticulitis. That is an intestinal infection that you see in old older folks peritonitis, things like a ruptured appendix, that co- that infection goes throughout your belly, you might be able to use, per- uh, um, if you use it early enough, you early, might be able right. to get rid of it with flagell, same thing. That's the key with any of these antibiotics. Um, some pneumonias, diabetic foot ulcers, bone and joint infections, uh, colitis, inf- intestinal infections, um, heart infections, endocarditis, uh, I, we mentioned vag- vaginal infections, Pelvic inflammatory disease, an infection in women, uh, an infection in women that can lead to abscesses and infertility. That is used, of course, uh, in combination with other antibiotics. That's a really bad, bad infection. You need to use more than one. Um, uterine infections, especially after childbirth or miscarriage, that would might would be useful for that. Many dental infections. Sometimes they they put that in combination with amoxicillin, and leave and treat. The infection that causes some peptic ulcers, uh, which is Helicobacter pylori, there are a number of different bacteria that can cause that. Now, from a protozoal standpoint, I mentioned Giardia. It also kills uh, amoeba, amoeba, enta-amoeba histolytica, causes a type of dysentery, which uh, happens as a result of eating, drinking contaminated water or eating contaminated food. I just want to mention here that um, this is all going to be in a book soon. Yes. As a matter of fact, I'm writing a book about 
all of this stuff, and it's uh, we don't have a, a title yet, but basically it's oh, going to be. Someone did write about, us a cute little suggestion for okay, a title. Well, we're then. not going to. We're not going to say it. On, I'm not. I'm not on the air. <laughs> I am not. Not saying, yet. That's but not I fair. do want to mention that that's not fair. But we appreciate all of this information. Very soon, will come out in a book form on antibiotics. My husband is right. diligently writing. In fact, in front of me right now is part of the book that I am helping to um, edit. I don't have to edit very much because he's an excellent writer. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate but it. But you've written, my goodness, thousands and thousands of words already. Oh, I wanted to give a quick shout-out to Dr. Mater, who has given us some suggestions for book titles and uh the one i would the one i won't mention one you can't mention just yet but but we we appreciate dr mater that was awesome thanks so much it was a great great name uh so so entamoeba histolytica giardia um so you can prevent some types of dysentery with it you can prevent uh, giardiasis with it you can prevent vaginal infections some vaginal infections with it and this is something that I think is just an important one to have. You can use it if you're allergic to penicillin. Uh, there are a lot of different ways that you can use it. We'll be uh, describing those in the book. You can find some of our my articles probably will also describe it. Uh, look for metronidazole uh, and you'll, you'll find it. But they do, based on the type of infection, many times the treatment is a little different. Some other infections or some other antibiotics have pretty standard dosing and this is not one of those there are a number of different ways to use it sometimes you can use it as a single dose to get rid of let's say a certain vaginal right infection. like a bomb right you just take a mega dose there you go and so, so it comes I'll, in about a, a general dosage is about 500 and i know one of the treatments for one of these infections is two grams which is Four, of four those tablets, tablets at once. Yeah, four tablets at once. If, That's right. You think you have stomach problems before you take that. Right. <laughs> Giardiasis and probably uh, those types of protozoal infections, a common uh, treatment is 250 to 500 milligrams orally four times a day. Uh, Fish zole comes in both of those dosages. Uh, amoebic dysentery, they'll want you to take probably three tablets. You use a stronger dose, 750 milligrams, three times a day, and you use it probably for about five to ten days. And there is a pediatric dosage that's 35 to 50 milligrams per kilogram per day in divided doses for about ten days. So never, of course, give anything more than the adult dosage, regardless of the weight of the child. So, these are some of the things that, of course, you'll see written in our book, and so it might be a good book. It's, a, it's a, my thoughts, basically, on how to deal with infectious disease and antibiotics in times of trouble. Yep. Now, how are you going to figure? How are you going to figure out what every single one of these diseases look like? I mean, I can't figure out everything, you know, because so you, no, there's, there's so much to know. There's so too. much to know. Yeah. Exactly. So it's without a lot of modern lab tests and right. big textbook on infectious Cultures. disease. Well, you know, that would be would be helpful to have that stuff. You can at least consider uh, textbooks. Uh, there are bigger textbooks. Harrison's has a book has a book on internal medicine that has a big section on infectious disease. There are specific infectious disease um, textbooks and. These are things that are helpful. I mean, if you got going to be the medic, you know, you got to put out a little, if not elbow, 
grease and a little brain grease into it and start setting up a little on the types of injuries and illnesses that you're going to encounter in a true disaster. And luckily, we do have a few resources out there that are that are pretty good. Uh, like all antibiotics, uh, metronidazole does have side effects. Uh, you can find those side effects in the app uh, or online. Uh, in the physician's desk reference. The physician's desk reference until just a few years ago was a huge book, always more than 2,000 pages. Oh, so big. Or maybe 3,000 pages. And they would give it to us for free at the office, remember? because yes, we They would doctor, deliver yeah. it, yes. Yeah. And, they, and basically it includes all the uses, indications, risks, benefits, um, dosing, uh, Drug yeah, precautions, drug interaction, side effects, right. just about everything. And that's still very useful as an app and it's very useful digitally. It would be nice if you, if they still put out a book, of course, you know, Get for, an old one. for when you're off the grid. Yeah, you, and truthfully, I think most eBay antibiotics. Has right. PDRs. eBay's got a great source for books. Right. So you'll find the PDR, old an old book, a few years old. Probably would be fine because there are not a lot of new antibiotics, at least, that are on the market that you can get in uh, fish in antibiotic. fish antibiotics. Yeah, they form. don't have the fancy brand new ones. Right. So, but but they those are not the ones that you would be pay, able to. Right. They want insurance companies to pay for those. Right. Exactly. For their for their R and D <laughs> research and development, billions of dollars <laughs> to bring. A medication. So it passed on to us and to the insurance companies <laughs> until the patent runs out. Well, then one, it gets cheaper. Then it gets cheaper. Then it gets right. cheaper. So you can get it in generic then. Yeah. Um, one particular side effect about metronidazole that has to do with alcohol. If you drink alcohol while on metronidazole, it's going to very likely make you vomit. It is really one of those things that you just do not want to drink and take this stuff. You know, it's funny. There's not a lot of antibiotics that say that, honestly. Everyone thinks, oh, I'm taking an antibiotic. I shouldn't drink. Although I will say that alcohol probably doesn't make your immune system work great. So it's a good idea just health-wise not to drink alcohol while you're sick, which Obviously, if you're taking an antibiotic, it means you're sick, right? Right. So you should be eating a healthy diet, drinking lots of fluids, getting lots of sleep, and avoiding toxins. And alcohol is a toxin. Your body has to clear it. It's not happy when you put it in there. Exactly. So, but this particular antibiotic actually has an interaction with alcohol. Yeah. It makes you rather nauseous. And that'll fix your wagon, but good. Yeah. I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> uh, metronidazole, by the way, should not be used in pregnancy, but it is acceptable in people who are allergic to penicillin. So it is one of those drugs that you can use if you're allergic to penicillin. So that's important. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing with all these drugs. And, you know, in a long-term survival situation, we really don't know when something like that will happen. We hope never. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, over the course of time, the, you know, the risks do exist that something like that might happen. And so what happens when all these drugs that you have and you've accumulated and you've got a great medical storage system, what happens when they pass their expiration dates? Good and question. That's right. Well, I'm going to tell you, the short answer is, in most cases, not a heck of a lot. Now, 
it's important to know what an expiration date actually is. Now, since 1979, pharmaceutical companies have been required to place expiration dates on their medicine. But what does that date actually signify? Uh, well, officially, the expiration date is the last date that a company will certify that their drug is fully potent, 100% potent. Now, some people believe that this means that the medicine somehow becomes useless or in some way toxic or dangerous after that date if you take it. Now, in the grand majority of cases, that's a false assumption. And as long as it comes in pill or capsule form, the truth of the matter is, is that it has happens to stay pretty strong for a good long period of time. And I'll tell you why in a minute. Now, expiration dates, you have to remember, pertain to the strength of the medicine, not whether it causes strange or dangerous effects afterwards. You're not going to grow a third eye in the middle of your forehead or a horn be simply because a drug has expired. And also, they don't become poisonous. I think that's a, a old wives' tale. Well, I'll blame it on old wives. <laughs> well, there are some old wives that may were scientists back in the 1960s, and they did find that tetracycline that was expired for more than a year wound up causing something called Fanconi syndrome, which is a type of kidney damage. And these reports were published in the Journal of, Amer of the American Medical Association all the way back in 1963. Now, since that time, the formulation of the drug has changed, and there haven't been a lot of recent reports in the medical literature that state that the new formulation does that. However, there's always that risk, and tetracycline, since it's a one of those really old antibiotics, it's not really one of those that I recommend that you have in your medical storage. I do recommend a member of the tetracycline family called doxycycline, um, and that actually, I, we did find a study that used expired doxycycline. These things are not that easy to find, as you can imagine. And they use it in dialysis patients, patients with bad kidneys without ill effects. So that's, you know, patients with kidney failure were able to take it without ill effects. Now, doxycycline, by the way, is, is my choice for members in that family. It's preferable over tetracycline. Both do come as veterinary equivalents. Tetracycline is fish cycline, and uh, fish doxy uh, uh, or bird biotic is the name of doxycycline. So doxycycline is just a newer drug. It might have less resistant issues, resistance issues also. And so if it's between the two, stockpile doxycycline rather than tetracycline. Now, years ago, the U.S. Now, how do I know that these drugs are still potent? That is actually a pretty good question. That's a, quite a statement to make from a conventionally trained doctor to say that, you know, expired medicines are still fine. Well, years ago, the U.S. military commissioned a study regarding expiration dates. Now, let's consider their situation. In warehouses all over the country, the military has had over a billion dollars invested in medications, and every couple of years or so, they were faced with the challenge of getting out the forklifts and disposing of millions of dollars' worth of drugs. As you can imagine, this can be somewhat <laughs> wasteful, and so they decided to make a study, and the study was called the Shelf Life Extension Program. And they conducted it in conjunction with the Food and Drug Administration. And what they found, they tested 122 drugs used in peacetime emergencies. And they revealed that 90% of medications that they tested 
especially those in pill or capsule form, were acceptable for use for years after their expiration dates. When I say acceptable for use, they're 100% potent, and they didn't seem to cause any side effects or, or any, any toxic effects, let's call it that way. The FDA tested uh, prescription drugs, non-prescription drugs. It published its findings all the way back in 2000, but it was publicly published in 2006 in the Journal of Pharmaceutical Sciences in the July issue. You can find it there. Sometimes you can find it online. Sometimes they actually restrict access to it. And so this is something that at least now you know how to find it if you can't find it just with the general Google search. Now, the exceptions to this rule that you know these expired uh, medicines are indeed still potent after their expiration date, uh, those were mostly in liquid form. That included some of the pediatric uh, suspensions, uh, elixirs that they have for kids that can't swallow pills or capsules, insulin, all that other stuff. A lot of these lose their potency pretty soon after the date on the package. And you have to look for signs of spoilage, too, of a liquid. Uh, a, some of these signs might be a change in the color of the liquid. There might be the appearance of solid material that is sort of floated or that is sort of sunk to the bottom of the liquid. These are signs that well, there might be a little fishy there, and you might not want, <laughs> may not fishy. want to use it. <laughs> that was funny, fishy. <laughs> there you go. Right. Well, more recently, that study... <clears throat> showed uh, that some of these medicines, if they are in short supply, can be allowed to be given to the public or the public can be allowed to use it by issuing something called a, an emergency use, use authorization. And the emergency use authorization was made for a number of drugs. It was made for doxycycline, actually, when there was a shortage of that a few years ago. It was made for Tamiflu uh, during the 2009 swine flu epidemic. We were short on that, and so they said you could use old-time uh, antiviral Tamiflu if it was expired just for that circumstance. And these uh, emergency use authorizations are oftentimes retracted once there's either an adequate supply of the drug or the actual epidemic has passed. So this is something that I think is, is pretty important. It's not a, sh a small study. They used 3,000 different lots of these 122 different drug products for their testing, and they were able to find all sorts of drugs that you can use even if they are expired. Now, of course, in normal times, if you can reach your doctor, your healthcare provider, and they can give you fresh prescriptions, that's awesome. That's what you should be doing. You should not be uh, taking expired medicines if you have fresh medicines that you could take. I mean, there's no no reason why not to get fresh medicines if you have access to them. Now, remember that I write and we write about situations where there's not that access available. Now, of course, this is a little bit controversial. I mean, you'll see quotes from academic types that say medications are dangerous when they're expired. You should toss them right away, no matter what they are. And these opinions are fine in normal times, but they're a little foolhardy if you're preparing for times of trouble. Let's say a, a loved one is fading from an infection. Something bad has happened. You're off the grid and little or no hope of getting to modern medical care. 
Well, you've got an expired bottle of antibiotics. What are you going to do? You've got somebody that's got a, a terrible infection. They're dying. You've got antibiotics. Hey, they have passed their expiration dates. Are you going to use the expired drug or not? Well, that's up to you, but I know what I would do. You should make efforts, of course, to always stockpile these medicines in pill or capsule form, not as liquids whenever you possibly can. That's important because the Shelf Life Extension Program data found most of the failures among drugs that were in liquid form. So that's something that's important. If they're in pill or capsule form, those are the ones that lasted the longest. Potency may fade over time, if you know, especially if they're stored poorly. Proper storage of medications involves a lot of different things, but mostly three factors, heat, humidity, and light. Make certain that your supplies are stored in a cool, dry, dark place. The effective life of a drug is usually an inverse relationship to the temperature it's stored at. In other words, a drug stored at 50 degrees Fahrenheit lasts a lot longer than one stored at 90 degrees Fahrenheit. However, freezing drugs in most circumstances is not necessary, and probably especially bad if for liquid medications, but you don't have to freeze your tablets or your capsules. It is not going to make a difference. Now, I'll tell you one thing that does affect the activity of certain drugs is sunlight. So use those smoky brown containers, the opaque containers. These are preferable to clear containers, if, and that's why a lot of medicine comes in these amber or brown colored bottles. And if you don't have that, if they have to be in clear bottles, place them in a dark place for long-term storage. Humidity also affects medicines. It can cause mold, mildew to form. It can really it can actually get you sicker of taking the medicine than you were previously. Mm-hmm. So that's important. And that, by the way, that goes for uh, natural products like dried herbs and powders. You get fungus on them, and that is bad, bad news in most cases. Uh, now, you can choose to vacuum pack medications to extend shelf life. I would do that, especially with medicines that are in uh, powder form. I think that is pretty useful. Some doxycycline comes in uh, 100 milligram powder packets. That's the, the adult dose. And that's something that I want you to do. Now, uh, planning ahead, of course, you've got to get as much of this stuff available as possible if you believe that there'll be some long-term event Remember that in most cases, you know, two or three days without power, you probably don't need to start buying the dental extractors. But the truth is, is that you should have as much of these things as you possibly can. Any option that can help you achieve the goal of being medically prepared, even expired medicines, should not be ignored. I mean, all I have to say is do your own research, come to your own conclusions and study the facts. That's something that's very, very important. I want to talk a little bit about uh, infections, since we're talking a lot about infections. Let's talk about pandemics. Uh, In modern times, we've become so highly dependent on the high technology that has eliminated the scourge of infectious disease in a lot of different cases. Uh, Antibiotics and antiviral medicines are available in, gosh, all sorts of generations, physicians aren't reluctant to use them, even though there's a threat of antibiotic resistance, that's a big issue. But most are reluctant to consider the possibility that a major disaster could wipe out the ability to manufacture drugs, right? Antibiotics and other kinds of medicines may not be available if if there's something bad enough to 
knock you off the grid, there's probably not a lot of places that are putting out vast quantities of pharmaceuticals for that you could easily access. Uh, there are a lot of restrictions exist, ex that exist that put antibiotics and antivirals out of reach of the common person, and that's a hard reality. I mean, it places you at the mercy of infectious diseases, and some of these have the potential to kill millions of people on a global scale. And there are different types of diseases. There are diseases that are endemic, there are diseases that are epidemic, and there are diseases that are pandemic. An endemic disease is one that's regularly found among particular people or in a certain area. Uh, malaria, for example, is an endemic disease in a lot of tropical countries. So in other words, if you live where there are a lot of mosquitoes that have the bug, then the truth of the matter is, is that you've got an endemic disease, not necessarily an epidemic disease, even though there may be hundreds of thousands of people in a country that wind up having malaria, for example. Now, an epidemic disease, that's a rapid, widespread outbreak of an infectious disease in a community that is not used to seeing that particular disease. Now, influenza is an epidemic disease. You might say, well, if influenza happens every year in the United States, there's always a lot of cases. But the truth of the matter is, is that each one of those infections is a virus, and the viruses mutate, and they're almost always slightly different. And so influenza, therefore, would be a good example of an epidemic disease. And, and it's also a seasonal disease. That's another thing why it's epidemic. It's not always raging in a particular area, but when it arrives, it usually arrives suddenly, periodically, and oftentimes in a specific season. So what's a pandemic then? A pandemic occurs when an infectious disease run, runs rampant throughout large regions, or in the case of the Spanish flu epidemic of 1918, the entire world. And there's an entire level of alerts about epidemics and pandemics. This is categorized by the World Health Organization, and they have them as what they call phase alerts. Now, phase one is when a virus is found in animals, but there are no known infections in humans. So if they found, they went to the Congo and they found that a group of chimpanzees has simian flu virus, well, then that would be a maybe a phase one alert. No humans are affected, and it's but it has been found in animals. In a phase two alert, the disease has caused a proven infection in humans. In other words, whatever virus that they're looking at, they know that it caused, that has caused infection in humans, and, but there's not necessarily any disease there. They just have that knowledge. Now, phase three alerts, there are indeed small clusters of diseases here and there that are occurring in humans, but an entire community is not yet affected. These are sort of random, sporadic cases, and that's just about it. And an example of that would be plague in the United States. There are rare cases of plague that occur every year in the United States, maybe half a dozen, maybe 10 cases that you'll see. And they're usually in the West, in the drier areas, um, that you'll, you'll find these plague cases. They, but they are sporadic. They're here and there. There's not an entire community that comes down with the plague, like what happened in the 13th and 14th centuries in Europe. Now, phase four alert diseases, now you're talking. It, it affects, it's affecting entire communities. 
the disease qualifies now as an epidemic. But the risk for a pandemic, although, of course, it's increased because now you've got an epidemic, is not certain. They're not sure that that's going to turn out to be a pandemic. And this is something that you would see, let's say Ebola is, is a, in 2014, that's an example of an epidemic that affected entire communities. And a phase five means that the spread of disease between humans is occurring in more than one country in a region. And sure enough, the Ebola outbreak of 2014 indeed fulfilled this criteria. It went to Liberia, uh, Ivory Coast, and a number of other countries, or even cases in Nigeria. And there are cases, there were cases in communities in several different West African countries. So Ebola ended up as a phase five epidemic, but a phase six is what we call a, pand a pandemic. And indeed, we did not have that happen with regards to Ebola. In a phase six alert, well, you have community-level outbreaks in at least an additional country in a different region. So there were no outbreaks outside of West Africa. There may have been individual cases from people that were working, health healthcare workers, for example, that came from West Africa, but there were and and one or two nurses in Dallas were infected when they were in contact with that person, but it didn't turn out to be a community level outbreak, and so therefore you just had a, you just had a level five outbreak, phase five alert for Ebola. If Ebola had turned out to be a pandemic, then you would have had a community-wide outbreak in Dallas, for example, where the uh, nurses were infected. Now, one thing there, there that doesn't mean there aren't pandemics all over the place. There are pandemics. There are pandemics. Uh, chikungunya is a pandemic. That was a virus that causes joint pain and fevers in people. That occurred, uh, uh, I think, in 2015, 2014, uh, 14, around the time of the Ebola Ebola epidemic, I think the year after, and that what came from Asia and Africa all the way to South America, and it caused a great deal of community outbreaks in the Dominican Republic. As a matter of fact, uh, for a period of time, there was a 13% work absence rate. I don't know if that's the right word, but there were 13% of the population did not report to work because they were sick or because they were at risk for being sick. So this is a true, that was a true pandemic. Also the Zika virus can be considered a pandemic because there were community-wide outbreaks in 2016 in Polynesia, in Asia, and there also uh, were all these outbreaks in Brazil. And so those are different regions. And so therefore Zika virus fulfilled the pandemic uh, definition. And there are a lot of diseases that cause pandemics. Other than that, of course, the Spanish flu was of 100 years ago. That was a major pandemic because it was throughout the entire world. Black Death, um, the plague in the 14th century, that was a major issue because it wasn't just in Europe. It was in, it actually came from Asia. It came from Asia and thought, thought to have traveled in trading, trader ships. Uh, to Sicily and then made its way across Europe. So there was a lot. There are lots of pandemics. It is amazing. There and there are a lot of other very very common diseases you consider pandemics, like tuberculosis, 
That's an infection of the lungs and other organs caused by a mycobacteria. Uh, that's so common in certain regions that it's considered just endemic, that, you know, everybody gets it, or it is is just there. It's been there for hundreds of years, and if you live in that area, you're more likely to have tuberculosis than if you don't live in that area. So this is something that you definitely can see. I think we have just about hit the end of our rope for this this week. I don't have time to go into some of the other stuff that I wanted to talk about, but there is always something to talk about here on the Survival Medicine Hour. I hope that you will tune in every week as we discuss situations that occur in times of trouble, in times when modern medicine, well, when it's get up and go, has got up and went. We thank you very much for Amy Alton. This is Joe Alton, MD. See you next time. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. To contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.